Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Austin Simmons from Tris coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. I'm happy to be here more now than ever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're here. Uh, I I should say I should issue the standard disclaimer, as I have for the last few weeks, that we are social distancing. We're recording this over Skype. Uh, You and Ryan Lashane are... The last two people that I recorded with in studio, that was about a month ago. So let me just start by asking you kind of how has life been at Avondale since the government told you that you couldn't serve people in your dining room? I think we taped with you on a Monday when we were last in the studio, and I think the shutdown went into effect a day later, if my memory serves me right. That's correct. Um. And I knew it was coming. It took us a few days, a better part of that week, to totally pivot everything online. Uh, We were able to successfully do that. We already had our wine shop online, and people could shop and pay for wine there. But we pivoted all of our um, food from our regular menu online. We adopted nightly family meals and put those online. Uh, Most importantly, we added farmer's market boxes um, on the weekends for weekend pickup or delivery. Uh, And also we did uh, brunch boxes, which was a nice way for people to have something to look forward to on the weekends with pastries from Breadman and stuff like that. But if we had not pivoted that first week, we would have been dead in the water. Um, I think a lot of people uh, realized really quickly that they had to figure out how to pivot online if they were going to, you know, still stay in business in any capacity. Yeah. So would you say you're, I mean, not that you're at the same revenue level that you would have been if if you were serving people in your dining room, but have you been able to kind of hold the line, so to speak? And, and I guess you have a retail wine shop, so everybody's staying home and drinking more. I think the most important thing for us looking back at the last month is that we have a retail wine shop. Um, I will say that each week gets more strange than the week before that. Um, our revenues are definitely nowhere near what they would be if we were open as a restaurant. Um, the profit margins are much smaller on, on the retail side versus restaurant and, and wine bar. But, you know, we, we have noticed that the weekends are, are pretty, pretty decent, but the weekdays are, are still relatively very slow. Well, I am I am pleased to say I have ordered from Avondale a couple of times. I had Chef Olivier's signature fried chicken on a Thursday, your Thursday family meal special. And, of course, I ordered a very delicious prime rib dinner from you guys for Easter Sunday. So, uh, Yes, so I, good. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. you. Uh, I, I would never tell you how to run your restaurant, but <laughs> I, would, I would run that prime rib weekly every other week maybe just kind yeah. of keep that thing rolling you are not wrong so we're it gonna, is we're it is mix, very delicious <laughs> we're gonna mix up the family meals this coming week so prime rib will go on there i don't know uh which day but we'll we'll serve traditional prime rib and then we'll also do 
as I've, I, as I have had it a couple of times since, a prime rib burger uh, in the style of the French dip at Houston's, and I would definitely put ours head to head with theirs. Ooh, high praise! All right, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're making this work. Um, trying to got to be an optimist right now. If you're not, yeah. you're, you're really shit out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let us dive into some of the other news of the week. The first thing I want to talk to you about topic. Number one is the paycheck protection plan, which we greeted on this show with some optimism <laughs> from Adam Brackman, but has turned out to be kind of a shit show. Oh uh, my in God. Terms I mean, of, it's now when we start dropping it, like, you know, four letter bombs, because yeah. Well, <laughs> well, remember, every four letter bomb you drop is more work for our producer, Michael Carroll. So just be judicious. I, like Michael. I won't do that to him. All right. Thank you. You owe him a, you owe him a prime rib sandwich if you keep, uh, keep working him in. Done. Um, okay. So here's my short take on the paycheck protection plan, not just for me, but for my other law clients. Um, We've had our banker look at this and we have applied and everything else. We're ironically too small for the paycheck protection plan to really help us. We are not the Ruth Chris of the world that gets $20 million. Um, I, it's run out of funds. I think Congress is going to resupply it. I mean, they could keep resupplying it and keep resupplying it. And it really needs to make its way down to a true small business. I mean, uh, small businesses make up the fabric of America and small businesses in Houston, small restaurants can be 10, 20, 30 people, not these giant corporations and no offense to them. I, I, I don't ever want to wish anybody ill will. And I want everybody to come out of this on the other side of it, but it's the smallest of businesses that need the most help. And they're the, it's harder for our small businesses to turn around and put in a package. It takes time. You have to get with your accountant. You have to get with your banker. A lot of these small restaurants don't have established um, relationships with a lender right now. So if you don't, um, you're really, really in trouble. Um, All right. So, so let me just interrupt you just to, to move this conversation along. Congress yeah. is, is going to refund this this week. It looks like according to some media reports I've read. It looks like it. Yeah. What, what would what are the like maybe two or three specific things that would make it better for you as a restaurateur that would make it more valuable? I think instead of first come first serve, um, you need to prioritize small businesses. And I don't know if you put a cap on if it's number of employees or revenue of business or something like that. I'm not sure what the right way is, but small, true small businesses, true small restaurants and bars need to be able to have a leg up in the application process of being prioritized. If they don't, we're going to lose out every time to the Ruth Chris's of the world. And no offense, but uh, they're, I believe they're based in Russia. Let's help businesses that are based in America, that pay American taxes, and truly support our local neighborhoods and cities. Uh, yeah, I mean, the you know, all kinds of groups are are lobbying for this. I mean, there's something called the Independent Restaurant Coalition that's that's lobbying for changes to this. But yeah, the the you know the initial optimism that kind of greeted this program kind of crashed into the the rocks of reality. You know, certainly preference was given to larger businesses with well-established relationships with lenders that, that the banks, frankly, thought are more likely to pay this stuff back, even though. There's all kinds of provisions in the act that forgive the loans and put it on the government 
if they don't pay. But but yes, there's a lot of disappointed restaurateurs, brewery owners, you know, all across the all across the city, all across the state, all across the country that were kind of counting on these loans that that didn't get a dime of them. And here's the thing about it. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, what do you want your city, wherever you live, irrespective of where you live, what do you want your city to look like on the other side of this? Because if you love your small neighborhood restaurant, if you love your Nancy's or your Nobies or your Squabble or Avondale or whatever restaurant that you love, if you want to be able to dine and experience them or your favorite bar like Anvil on the other side of this, you got to help now because I'm sorry, I don't want to come back to a dining scene that is all big chains that have their food delivered from Cisco. Sorry, uh, but I'm not interested. Houston's worked so hard to become a diverse dining city that's got national and international praise and what we're going to, all that hard work, we're going to throw it away because of this. It's well, really, I, really sad. Right. I don't think anyone that listens to this podcast probably wants that kind of future. Uh, I, I would say that if anything, it means that to a certain extent, like it's on us, right? Yeah. That, that people who love restaurants, you know, to the extent that they still have jobs and can afford to, uh, should be spending money at restaurants when they can, when it makes sense. But, uh, and, and local restaurants, I mean, I have made it a point not to support any chains, any, anything from outside the city for the last month. And, you know, I, I do have those restaurants, you know, especially for a quick casual lunch or, or an easy dinner or something that I, that I really like, but, but this is not the time for them. I, you know, that uh, I like Shake Shack, but Shake Shack will, you know, Shake Shack will survive. Ruth Chris will survive. <laughs> you know, I'm supporting independently owned local restaurants, uh, as much as I can. Well, thank you, Eric. We all appreciate it very much. Yeah. All right. Let us move on. I, I have uh, topic number two. A little more optimism. Restaurants that temporarily closed have started to reopen. Yes. My Give list. Cotarabata, like right now for lunch. Yep. Cotarabata is back uh, this week. Giacomo's is back this week. Pappas Brothers is back. And uh, FM Kitchen will reopen next Monday. Just from your perspective, what kind of challenges do you think these restaurants will face as they kind of ease their way back into? curbside and to-go service. I mean, you got to kind of look at it in a few different ways. Back of the house is probably going to be the most challenging. Um, A lot of these restaurants have small kitchens. And for example, Katarabata, if you're ever at the sushi bar, which is one of my favorite places to sit in that restaurant, it's going to be really hard for people that work together to be six feet apart um, in kitchens. So I don't, I don't know what that looks like, to be honest, for a restaurant that's as busy as a Katarabata. I've heard, uh, rumors of we will be opening at 50% capacity when restaurants do reopen to the public for dine-in. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, yeah, I think that's premature. I, I don't want to speculate about Yeah, I don't want to speculate either, but I just, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able, I think of restaurants that have um, bars that people eat at, and I don't know that you're going to be able to have seats right next to each other, for example. Um, Oh yeah. No. What restaurants are going to look like when dining rooms are allowed to reopen? I'm, I mean, we will, we will have that conversation. It's actually (laughs) one of the things I want to talk to Austin about. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, specifically I was thinking about, you know, Cata where the, you know, 
they don't typically do to go. Pappas Brothers, I don't think has ever done to yeah. go. Or, I mean, these restaurants just, are entering a, a brave new world right now, and it'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, the higher end places. So much of the, the reason that people dine there is for the experience, experience. the service, the yes. the wine, the cocktails. All love, of that is stripped away. You know, are love, people going to want to pay? You know. Papa's Brothers is doing a $55 three-course to-go menu that by the standards of going to Papa's Brothers for a sit-down meal is a pretty good deal. But by the standards of ordering to-go for a, potentially for a family of four is a lot of money. I think it's tough because Kata Kata and Papa's are best in class for sure. Um, I think Kata for lunch maybe makes sense, but I think in general, people don't, in their minds, they may not think that sushi travels well. I think kata will probably prepare it in a way that it will travel well. I don't know what they do to make sure that it stays cool as we're going into summer, spring, summer months. Um, Papa's, 55 bucks. Even though that's a good deal for Papa's, it really is. I think people might check that box once uh, just to go support Papa's. But I don't know if that's sustainable for people to go and they can cook at home. I don't want to say that. I want everybody to get all the love that they can get, but it's hard to predict. It's hard to say. Yeah, I I do think it is. It's hard to say. I mean, FM Kitchen, I think, is doing something smart where they're doing, you know, two burgers, two sides, two drinks, and it's like 25 bucks or if you get... That's smart. Uh, like, that's a good know, price point. Right. Dinner for four, uh, I think, is 48 you know, they're doing a pulled chicken special. They're, you know, I think yeah. that's the way to kind of approach this. The more casual, the better I think you will fare for the most part. Right. I, I, I think that's right. All right. And then topic number three, let's 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 strike a, a note of optimism. I spoke to Travis McShane. He is the chef owner of Ostia, a new Mediterranean-influenced new American restaurant that is opening in Montrose, for all of you Montrosians, you may have noticed construction on Dunleavy across the street from the Guild Shop. That is Ostia. Mary, did you did you happen to read my article about Ostia? I am not going to lie to you. I have not. I have been so buried in work. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> that's I know the, fair. I know, the, I know the building. It's a great location. Yeah, and and Travis is Travis has got a great pedigree. He was the the chef de cuisine at Barbudo, which is uh, Jonathan Waxman's restaurant in New York City for a long time. He opened the restaurant for for Jonathan in Nashville. Um, obviously, Jonathan Waxman is is a pioneering American chef. He kind of brought the farm-to-table movement from California to New York back in the 80s. And so, you know, this is, this is kind of, uh, you know, we've had some chefs that have worked in New York come to Houston and do very well here. Uh, you know, certainly uh, Cecil Gardner and Terrence Gallivan did very well with the Passive Provisions. They worked for people like Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Samuelson. Uh, Aaron Bludorn is working on a new restaurant. He worked for Daniel Ballou for a long time. I, I mean, I'm always excited when when talented people who have worked for very accomplished chefs want to come to my city and open new restaurants. Especially in our hood. Um, I'm excited for Montrose. This will be a nice dining addition for the neighborhood. Yeah, and I, I, I like that they're going to do a lot of house-made pastas. And he was like, look, if you you come in and you look at the menu and you're just like, screw it. I just want cacio e pepe or spaghetti carbonara <laughs> or you know something like that. Uh, we'll make it for you. Like, 
whether it's on the menu or not, like we'll we'll just make it. And and that's awesome. a that's like a commitment to service and experience that I think is really is really valuable. You talked about wanting to have like a really elegant lunch, you know, kind of an elevated lunch experience with like, you know, grilled swordfish and a salads and I mean, I know, you know, any place that opens for lunch probably has to have a burger, but um, there just aren't that many places to have like a nice lunch, even in Montrose. So I'm in favor of more of that. And, and of course, you know, Jonathan Waxman is known for his roast chicken. And so, of course, I asked, yeah. like, you're going to do roast chicken, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. You know, he, I guess initially when he was thinking about his menu and the concept for the restaurant, he he was not going to do that. And then he, he kind of had a conversation with, with Jonathan. It's like, you know, make the, you know, make your food, like make the, make the food that you've spent a decade making that, you know, and that, you know, will be good and that people will come to you again and again for. So I I had a a really terrific conversation with Travis. I I haven't met him personally yet, but I'm, I'm very excited about this restaurant. I think it's going to be a really nice addition to uh, what's available on Montrose. Well, you know, and I think I think a lot of people, ha- the Heights has grown so much in the last year or two, and it'll be nice to add uh, to that as well as the soon-to-be-coming uh, restaurant in the former pass and provision space as well. I'm looking yeah. forward to. Yeah, we're, we're uh, yes, you know, they're still working on that, obviously. You know, timelines for all of this stuff are really tentative. Nobody quite knows what uh, our reality is going to be like, you know, a month or two down the road. Uh, but Travis said, look, if we're ready to open, if we get a certificate of occupancy from the city of Houston, if we can seat people in the dining room, we'll seat them in the dining room. And if we can't, we'll do to go. We'll cater to the neighborhood. We'll we'll use our our training time to feed the neighborhood and get our sea legs under us. And then so that whenever we can open our dining rooms, we can go. Yeah. And I think that's probably the right attitude right now is, you know, he spent two years like planning for building, designing this restaurant why wait? You know, if you can, if you can make some money and get some customers in the door and build, start building your reputation, then go for it. Yeah. I mean, they're, and they're on a really, I mean, Dunleavy is a busy street, of course, but the way that that building is situated, it faces the street and everything else. I don't know if they'll have a patio or not. I can't really tell from the construction, but it's a, it's a decently sized building. So. Um, yeah, it's about, it's about 5,000 square feet. They'll have one part of the dining room that's kind of indoor outdoor with sliding doors. And then they'll have like a covered patio. You can kind of see it when you're driving past it at 30 miles an hour. It's a little bit hard to tell, but, <laughs> and, and it's surrounded by a fence. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to see, but if you, sure. if you, but, but you know, I'm, I'm that guy, right? So I sort of pulled over and, <laughs> and rolled down my window and kind of looked at it for a minute. You can kind of see where the patio is going to be. Yeah. Um, and the breakfast spot across the place that I've been going to for forever. <laughs> uh, yes. So. La Guadalupana is still open. Uh, I saw a sign in their window. Uh, they're on Uber Eats. So if you, you know, desperately want those uh, Gosh, eggs, divorce, eggs divorcado or tabales or those almond croissants or legendary <laughs> uh, vampiro juice, all those goodies from... Uh, I like my I like my Montrose high low, so that's like the perfect uh, kind of example of of what Montrose has to offer, which is why I love our neighborhood. Absolutely. All right, Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating.
So, Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to know what restaurants you have been ordering to go from. Okay. Well, I mean, I've definitely been craving, like, all different types of food. Um, I've been hitting the pit room for their pulled pork barbecue sandwich at lunchtime because it's amazing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good choice. <laughs> that's a good choice. Their barbecue sauce is so good. I usually pick that up and go to the Manil. Uh, sit on, sit outside on a bench and like eat by myself. It's like pretty sad, but, uh, it's beautiful over there and I'm eating something I love. So there's that. Um, well, and, and to the pit room to their credit has this very convenient drive through to go thing set up. Super easy, like no contact. They just like, I'm like, put it in the back seat. Uh, really easy. Don't have to get out of your car. It's great. Um, pepper twins and Montrose. I love, I love some pepper twins chicken. So I've definitely done that. Um, Kuchara is my neighbor uh, in Montrose on Fairview, um, right across from Boheme. I love, I love that. I've been doing that. Uh, what else have I been doing? I did squabble last week. I had gnocchi pasta, um, which was delightful. So those are three that or four of my top ones, I guess. Yeah, no, I, that's a, that's a very solid list. You know, I've been, I finally gave in, I, I, I hadn't had sushi in weeks and mm. I, I gave into the craving. I went to Coke. Well, I ordered delivery from Kokoro and Bravery Chef Hall, uh, a few pieces of nigiri, a, a roll, uh, you know, spendy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's no way around it. It's, you know, it's like, you know, right. six pieces of six pieces of nigiri in a roll, you know, comes in at, you know, 35, 40 bucks, but it was very delicious. I was very happy to be able to satisfy that craving. I miss uh, sushi. I really do. Yeah, no. And the nice thing is if you order for pickup, it can be ready in as little as 15 minutes. So, uh, and they, wow. they're very careful about, you know, uh, sanitizing everything, checking their employees health, all that. So anyway, I was, I was really happy with my, my meal from, uh, Kokoro. And then I, I splurged a little bit and got the, uh, three course Sunday pork chop dinner from Perry's. It's $39 plus a 15% plus tax and a 15% handling fee. So it comes in right under 50 bucks. Um, but that pork chop, of course, is legendary. It's enormous. Uh, I, easily two meals, especially with the wedge salad and a little uh, chocolate dessert thing. Yeah. So that was kind of my splurge. And then, you know, Burger Chan reopened. So I had to get, you know, this is a, this is a pro Burger Chan podcast. I say that a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, order online, pay with a credit card, pick up curbside, easy peasy, you know, especially for people, you know, the only complaint about Burger Chan is that it's it's only in Greenway Plaza and it's only open for lunch Monday through Friday. So uh, for people who aren't working, who maybe work in a part of the city where that's not convenient for them, I mean, yeah. now's your chance, you know, now's the time you can order it online. It's super easy. Uh, and frankly, you can do what I did, which is eat it in your car because it was... It was hot and delicious, and I. I Ooh, I got a banh mi from Lake of Rawls. That was also really good. Uh, oh yeah. And a very good price point, right? Like three dollar banh mi's. Come on, you can't beat that. No, a Houston institution for sure. <laughs> so good. I, yeah, I've just been. I need a. I need to go check the Himalaya box for sure. I don't think I've ventured out that far, uh, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but I need to. <laughs> well, and and you know, Chef Kaiser has a brand new uh, fried chicken sandwich. He's getting in on the. What? The chicken sandwich 
His fried chicken's so good, but I always feel like conflicted if I order the fried chicken. I'm like, oh, I'm neglecting the other things that I love. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I will say, you know, I did have a fried chicken sandwich from Backstreet Cafe. And in the the process of, of eating that meal, I learned that Chef E.J. Miller is now in their kitchen. And of course, we oh, know nice. E.J. Yeah, he worked for Clark Cooper for a long time. So Copa and Saltair. He worked with Ryan Lachane to open Riel, and and most recently he was the, the chef at International Smoke before that restaurant closed. So it's nice to see Chef EJ get a new job, um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what he does with Backstreet because you know of Hugo and Tracy's uh, restaurants, it's the one that's kind of the most traditional, and could probably use not like a full shakeup because that you know that restaurant's been around for. It's an you know, institution. Yeah, more than thirty years. It has it has regulars who really love it. So you gotta kinda you gotta kinda preserve what they do, but but maybe they can grow it just a little bit. Yeah, and, and you can mix up like twenty percent yeah. of the menu and still kind of preserve the integrity of the institution. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, Mary. Yes. Thank you very much for doing this. <laughs> You're welcome, Merrick. All right, I'll be right back with Austin Simmons. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by Austin Simmons. He is the executive chef for both Tris and The Kitchen in the Woodlands. Austin, I think this is your, your third time on the show, so welcome back. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you so much for honor to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I, I want to kind of start with, you know, you operate two styles of restaurant that would seem to be somewhat difficult. Well, you operate a fine dining restaurant that would seem to be very difficult to operate in a to-go setting. And you operate a, a fast casual restaurant that would seem to be better suited for uh, to-go and curbside. So so just tell me a little bit about what your experience has been like with both restaurants kind of making this. We keep I, I got to find a better word for pivot, but that's the word we keep using. Yeah, so, you know, um, fortunately for me, I've got production experience. Uh, and when I mean production, I mean cooking, chilling, and retherming. Uh, I worked back for our company back when we had our market days, and we had prepared chef's case. And, um, uh, you know, and I, and I, I worked for uh, Chef Adele back in those days, back when Hubble and Hudson, uh, when I first started there. So I feel pretty blessed that I got to work under that model uh, and I knew early on with Tris, you know, I've, I've worked really hard to transition Tris over the years, uh, and we've been unbelievable, unbelievably successful with that concept. But I knew, I knew the minute this hit, I think it was Sunday night before they started shutting stuff down. Um, I, there's no way we can do Tris curbside. It's just, it's, it's not even. To me, it wasn't even in the book of cards. I wasn't, I wasn't even considering it. I love kimchi pancake with butter poached crab, but if you throw that in a container and, 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 and drive it an hour and a half, it's just not going to be the same. Well, I mean, even 15 minutes, right? It's going to wilt. Yeah. Right? The, pancake get, the pancake gets soggy. The, you know, the crab yeah. starts to wilt. It's just not going to work. For sure. And, and to be honest with you, that's not food that people that are struggling are looking for in my opinion and my number one goal was first and foremost how do i keep my as many as many employees as i can on the payroll and the number two goal is how do i feed the community food that 
uh, maybe comforts them and, and helps them get through this time. Um, and it has a certain value perception behind it. So, uh, I wrote the menu at three 30 in the morning on Sunday or Monday morning, uh, got blessed by my board. And I said, look, we're going to transition the whole operation. Everything we're doing now is done. And for the first two weeks, we were utilizing inventory and, um, moving, moving into meals to go. And, and really it was meals for four that we started so early, really before the market did. Um, and it just took off. I mean, it was, um, it was, it, it, you know, obviously it's nowhere near what our sales were, but it, it worked in the sense that I was able to retain the management team. Uh, and I was able to, you know, I had to lay off most of the staff initially, but I was able to bring, bring hourly cooks back pretty quickly. Uh, to date, I think we've brought back 25. Um, also one of my challenges is, is that we have a commissary facility where we, in that in, interest that we, you know, I, I do all the sauce work, soups, dressings, everything at Tris and, and I, I commissary it over to the kitchen. Uh, it's really important to me to have that under 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 control in a, in a casual restaurant your sauce work is so important so i also needed to keep that that outfit going so it just made sense to transition into food that traveled well that reheated nicely that i could give the value back to the guest and um you know keeping all that in mind it was a no-brainer and we we transitioned in 48 hours and uh you know we've been able to keep people employed that's about all it's done and to me, that's a home run. And we've, we've fed our community what I feel is a, a, a pretty uh, value-added uh, meal program. And, and we've had people come up from Houston. I've, I've been, we've been so blessed at the response to some of that, for sure. Yeah, so like, what are some of the things that you're, you're doing that maybe um, for Tris, like in a to-go environment, that, that weren't on your regular menu a month ago? No, it's vast. So we went from making you know, gently po poached oysters and, and truffle potage and curate and butter poached crab on kimchi pancake uh, and roasted duck breasts and tris to uh, large oversized chicken parmesan. Uh, we're running a filet meatloaf. We, we, uh, we take the chains off the filet, we grind them in house uh, and then of a tenderloin and we're, we have a, you know, individual size filet meatloaf that has a little different texture and, and flavor than most people are accustomed to, uh, any sides are anywhere from, you know, roasted broccolini to, uh, Parmesan polenta, sweet potato mash. Uh, and then we, you know, we, we were pretty successful with what we call a cake pan. So we take a, a you know, a, a third pan, which is a, an aluminum small hotel pan. And we, we build it like a cake with the buttercream and, and uh, house-made cake layers. And uh, that exploded for us on social media. Um, I don't think I ever had a video that had more than like three or 400 views. But that first cake video, I got over 4,000 in, in a little over 24 hours. Um, and I think, you know, people for at the beginning of this were, were looking for great comforting desserts. And we were pretty blessed with, with that going over really well. We had a really good Easter. Because uh, we, you know, we did a, a family pack prime rib dinner for for four uh, with leftovers. Um, you know, we've also we've also, you know, right now the vendors need to move product. So at Tris, we're so I use the word you said you don't want to use pivotable, if you will. Uh, but we've we've bought some really good, uh, you know, 
deals like in beef, like prime ribeye and filet from our vendor. And we're passing that value back onto the guest instead of charging a normal margin that we would normal charge for paying for a product such discounted. We just, we just pass that right along to the guests. Uh, knowing that our whole vision is just to keep staff employed. So when we come out of this thing, we'll have a restaurant that we can open immediately and get everybody back. Uh, long-term goal for me is, is we reopen and we can bring everybody that we employed back immediately, not two to three months down the road because we're trying to open with a new inventory and get started again and throw out all the old, you know? Right. And, and what about at the kitchen? Because that's already kind of set up to be, uh, a more casual experience. I mean, has that was it easier to to transition that restaurant to this new environment? It was. Um, I would say the one mistake that uh, that the kitchen was not on any sort of third party delivery system, and and I always steered clear of that because I didn't like what they took out of the margin. Uh, we did some to go business over there, but we weren't as geared to to go as I, I, I if I'd have known this was going to happen, I would have been obviously. Uh, but it's, it's been okay. You know, we're, we're, we're still able to keep the management team over there and, um, some hourly partners for sure. But, but to be honest with you, Eric, and you wouldn't think this, but Tris is way outperformed the kitchen. I, I would not have expected that. I would have figured that people are just kind of used to getting more affordable meals from the kitchen and, and that it's all kind of that comfort food that that would have been, that would have been the one that's kind of keeping you afloat. Yeah, you know, our, we have uh, another fast casual uh, company in our restaurant group, Black Walnut, and, um, you know, they're, they're all doing decent to-go business. They really are. Um, and the kitchen has, but I don't, I, maybe it's just the, the support we have around Tris, um, but it took off right out of the gate hot, man. It was, um, it was when I, you know, when we're, 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 no, we're not even 30% of our normal sales, but for, for a fine dining world that's mostly closed right now, we're pretty blessed to have what we have, but it's all, you know, based on social media and, and just, you know, food deals, if you will, packages. Well, yeah, I mean, I, right. I guess that, that's the real, I think that's the real, the key. And, and Russell Regal's talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago is those, those family packs and that idea that you can, you know, feed a group at a less expensive price than you would, typically expect from a restaurant, especially of Trista's quality, um, and maybe, or maybe have that food for a couple of days and kind of eat on it. That seems to be a really winning strategy for restaurants. Yes, sir. You know, it's, um, it's going to be interesting after this to see how much of that business sticks around. I think you're, you're, I think hiring restaurants are going to have to stay in that game to some degree. Uh, and if they're not in it, they're going to have to get in it. Uh, because I think it's, it's prudent to their, their success. Um, well, that, had, that is, no, 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 go ahead. No, if I had any worry about the future of the restaurant business going forward, it's definitely the high end. There's no question. Um, you know, and, and social distancing, the tables obviously, but, um, you know, Houston for us specifically, uh, you know, it's going to be fourth quarter before this oil straightens out. And oil drives so much of our economy here, um, especially at the high end. And, and, you know, really where I am in the Woodlands is, I mean, it's covered in it. Um, I see COVID as a real problem. Don't get me wrong. And it's been 
tragic for the restaurant business. And I feel for so many people and myself and some of my team that's still not working. Uh, we've been through the ringer as a, as a, as an organization, as a group of people who are working the hospitality business, but we need the oil economy to turn around in Houston, uh, quickly. If, if high end is going to come back to, uh, some sort of normalcy. Uh, and I don't see that happening until the demands there and we get some, you know, everybody back to work. Right. I mean, I would assume that like all of your lunch business at Tris is kind of fueled by all those energy companies that are right there in the waterway with you. Correct. Uh, relaunch of Tris probably won't have lunch to begin with. Yeah, I I do actually kind of want to get into some of the things, kind of what you think the future might hold. I mean, like, for example, you know, do you think some of these curbside to go kind of meals i mean is that something restaurants are going to have to continue even if strictly speaking it's not as profitable as as uh, serving people dine in so i think curbside to go is going to be as popular as it is now and will continue to be until the scare is is over or we find a vaccine or we find a cure um you have a bunch of people right now that i'm seeing that are not worried at all and you have a bunch of people that are super worried and so for the people, and of course you have in between, but for the people that are super worried, curbside to go is a must because they're not going to come sit in the dining room. They're not going to come, you know, the, the restaurant has a lot of contact points. Um, and our goal as a company and moving forward is to be as contactless as possible. But it's really hard to do in, in, in a dining room setting of a restaurant, especially when there's service and you're not doing everything yourself or, or, uh, you know, maybe just have a food runner so the fast casual world. Um, I know. I have, I have never been as conscious of how many doorknobs, silverware, menu, glasses, you know, all the chairs, tables, all the things that we touch just in the, the normal course of going about our day as I have been in the last four weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and then when you start diving into your restaurant, you think about how many contact points there really are throughout the, the day of service. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. Um, so we're strategizing how to limit those, how to sanitize those regularly, uh, sanitation stations for the guest, uh, all kinds of things for, 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 so our guests feel as they come into our environment that, that it's safe. Um, and I think that's what's going to lead the market, Eric. I, I think we're going to shift for a minute from what's the newest trend and what's the latest and greatest chef-inspired dish to where people are comfortable to eat. And that's yeah. what's going to drive our new market. Well, and I've been, I follow David Chang on Twitter, and, and he's been tweeting about this for the past several days and, and asking for examples of what's going on in Asia since they seem to be so far ahead of us both in terms of, of, you know, experiencing the disease and then kind of uh, living with the reality after things flatten out and open back up again, you know, partitions between tables, you know, tables no bigger than four, uh, servers wearing masks and gloves. I mean, all of that seems like it's going to be, you know, part of the new normal, at least, at least for a little while. Yes, sir. We've already ordered gloves and masks for our servers. We already have, you know, we're fortunate at Trist that we have two big dining rooms. Um, we weren't so fortunate when 
before other than private dining when people people wanted to feel like they're a part of the main dining room so if we would set them over in the banquet side uh, they would they wouldn't feel like they got prime seating. Uh, fortunate for us, although we're going to lose a lot of banquet business, um, which is a big part of our, our foundation at Tris, um, we feel that we have the ability to space our tables throughout both of those dining rooms that will make people feel comfortable that they're not on top of uh, each other. It, 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 and, and we won't have any problem following those CDC guidelines as they come out. Um, but as far as the menu goes and what that looks like, um, I can tell you I'm not going to reopen Curate out of the gate. Um, hurts my heart, but uh, it's too small of a dining room. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's a little too high in for the state of our economy, and I don't want to. I don't want to ask for that price point. Um, we're gonna we're gonna pare down Tris's menu a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say make it more generic by any means. It'll still be super chef inspired and created, but uh, we're just going to continue to evolve our meat program and try to pass as much value onto the guests by, uh, you know, uh, trying to leverage what our vendors need to use. Um, vendors are in just as big of uh, an issue as the restaurant business. I mean, they're losing millions a day on product. So my goal is since I hope that us and all chef driven concepts will take that advice and we need to support our vendors right now in any way we can. So the, the restaurants that are capable to change their menu daily, weekly, monthly, uh, we got to help our vendors and our farmers out of the mess they're in. The farmers' crops are backed up. They, they're, they're only going to bring so many things to the market. Vendors can't get truckloads right now to their back door because they can't meet minimums. Um, what do we need to use as a core group? And let's use that and everybody benefit from it. Uh, and I, that's what I hope to do at Tris. We hope to really take advantage of, of um, utilization of product that these vendors, quite frankly, Eric, they're, they're throwing in the trash right now or donating. So, you know, that's kind of what Tris's menu will evolve to uh, in the near future as soon as we can get back to regular dine-in. We will stay in the curbside business. We'll also be delivering to homes. And we'll be expanding on some catering potential uh, for lunches uh, that's, you know, that we can take off site and help people, you know, have a good lunch from Tris. Right. Packaged, right. Packaged meals to go. I mean, have you, have you gotten in on any of this, like feeding healthcare workers or feeding first responders? No, we haven't. Um, we haven't gotten any in, into that. We're planning to, I, I, I host Tasso's pop up at the kitchen every Tuesday to participate in that we're planning as a company to start doing some of that work uh for sure but our first our first priority was how do we stabilize the operations to get our people back employed uh, it's been really hard for restaurant workers to collect unemployment to get unemployment to get through to unemployment these guys don't have six months of backstock of salary they just don't have it um so all of our efforts for the first you know really four weeks has been how do we how do we keep our team uh, some sort of money in their pocket or, or bring as many, many employees back as we can? Yeah, I mean, I guess so, right. If you're not going to reopen Curate, I guess that that space, the, those, those dining rooms that are kind of allocated to that, I mean, that could help you kind of space tables out and make give Tris something close to its uh, usual capacity. Yes, sir. It will. It will be. It'll just be very different than the, you know, the loud uh, atmosphere-setting dining room it was before. But I think that'll be okay uh, with, 
you know, the, the new norm, if you will. Um, I'm really concerned about restaurants that don't have the space, Eric. I, I, social distancing and, and 50% less seating is, you know, a real problem for a lot of our friends in this business that, um, you know, that you have a 30, you have a 60 seat restaurant and you take 30 of the seats out. Your revenue looks very, very different. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is certainly true. And it's, it's, I, I share your concerns. I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know, uh, Mary Clarkson was just on the show before you and, you know, those are the kind of places that kind of give a city life and, and make a, a dining scene exciting. And, and so, you know, it can't just be, you know, 200 seat steakhouses or whatever. Like we, you know, we need our little independent places. Otherwise, like, I don't know where, I don't know where I'm going to eat. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's kind of an unknown. But, you know, I think if those places can transition and get outside the box and offer, you know, maybe delivery, maybe not, curbside pickup, and they're in, in-house dining, you, you know, the word pivot is, is, is true. I mean, you have to be able to adapt to this new market. And you know what? We're having to hustle in a way that, man, I, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's uh, – it's who can stay ahead of the social media, who can stay ahead of the marketing, and who can continue to offer value to the guests in delivery and on premise to the ones that are going to make it. Uh, and I, I can't stress that enough uh, to all my, my friends in Houston. We, 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 you've got to get outside the box right now. What you did before is not there anymore. And I think uh, we are blessed that the team and I made some of those decisions early on in Tris. Um, but the market's not getting any easier. You know, we're not, we're not just soaring and soaring and soaring. You know, we've kind of flatlined and we're holding stable and um, we're having to come out with new stuff every, you know, every week, different packages. Um, we rolled out a steak package at the kitchen and that just, you know, $55 for two eight-ounce fillets and two sides of asparagus, two Caesar salad, two loaded baked potato, a bottle of wine and four cookies. Uh, I mean, really a stake in one side should cost that. So, uh, you know, we're having to get outside the box with our vendors and see how we can help them by offloading some of their products and then passing that value on to our customer, taking a little bit less margin, uh, but just, you know, continuing to operate. Well, and you've still got to figure out a way to maintain your quality because you've, you've spent all these years building a reputation. You don't want to give people a subpar experience. For sure. For sure. It's definitely interesting, sir. Is there anything you've tried that just didn't work that you, you, you were excited about that just, that just didn't, didn't resonate in, in the new, in the new way of doing things? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I tried to sell some of our higher end wines at 50% off and I was a little surprised that, um, doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in that. Um, but I kind of, you know, we're selling more alcohol, oddly enough, at the kitchen than we are Tris. Um, because our wine program over there is geared more towards value, Tris is more allocated wine uh, at a higher price point. Um, I, wish, I wish that we could have sold a little bit more wine at Tris for sure. It would have helped uh, some over there. But no, I don't, I think... I've, I've tried a few things on the menu early on, but it's all, it's the, the market's still very weak in business in, in a way in the high end. So 
meals for two, we wrote out this last week and we put, you know, Chilean sea bass and uh, filet and uh, ribs. And it's very interesting how you're still getting the special occasion stuff on the weekend, you know, not necessarily during the week. So Friday, Saturday, those things take off. But during the week, you know, you, you're, you're selling chicken parmesan and, and meatloaf and other things. So um, I wouldn't say it necessarily didn't work. It, it just still is kind of a fitting trend of the weekend. People are spending their money during the week. They're spending it. But as long as there's a lot of value there, you know. Right. Well, and let me just ask you, I mean, how do you how do you feel about the future? I mean, it sounds like you've got kind of a plan in place. Do you are you optimistic? Do you you think you'll uh, you'll figure out a way to kind of pull through? Yeah, for sure. I, I think actually I think there's a lot of opportunity in, in the restaurant business going forward. It's just you got to weather the storm, uh, unfortunately. And, and, and right now it's just about survival. Get through uh, until they they can pull the social distancing from us. And then I think, I think that people are dying to go out and have great food again. Um, that's never going to go away. Uh, the, just the, the definition of hospitality and why people enjoy that and, and go out to restaurants. Um, so really and truly, Eric, it, it will come back in my mind, no doubt. And I'm not like sitting here going, Hey, my, my chef career is over and restaurants are done by no means. Uh, everybody eats. That's one thing that's going to always hold true. And people are going to want the dining experience again. We just got to get through what I think is probably going to be two more months of, of uh, you know, the social distancing. or, or and, and you know what, Eric? It could be six months. I mean, there's really no way to tell how long it will be until, you know, we're not having to do these things. But... We are going to transition into making our, our guests feel safe when they come in the restaurant. And if I had any advice to any of my friends that are in the business, you got to be working on that stuff right now. What does your sanitation processes look like and how are you going to execute those to where the guest feels comfortable dining in your restaurant? Uh, and then, you know, leverage your to-go business and let's go back to as much normal as we possibly can. Yeah, I think, I, I think that's exactly on point, or at least you're you're very much in line with my own thinking, which is that people people will want to get out of their houses. They will want to have a dining experience again, but they will also want to know that the restaurant takes health and sanitation seriously. And so, I do think things like, you know, I, I said this earlier, but but servers wearing masks and gloves. Even if you know that they're healthy because you took their temperature before the shift started or because or, they've been isolating and they've been following the protocols like but but those outward signs of concern for other people's health, because you know as a, as a diner, we're not going to be able to wear a mask, otherwise, how would we eat? Sure. so so any outward visible steps a restaurant can take to show your customers that you're taking this seriously and that you're concerned about their well-being, you know, I think that's, that's going to be key, uh, especially, especially in a fine dining context. I just think that's, you know, where you do have more contact with the server. I just think that's going to be so important. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think the days of the chit chat with the server are going to be minimal for a while. Uh, that's probably the one thing that I, uh, 
that that helps that experience is that server interaction. Uh, it's really what sets full service apart. Um, and unfortunately, that's going to be gone. I mean, our directive is going to be take care of the guests, take care of the experience. But you know, standing at the table and 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 chit chatting with the guests about all different things in life is um, is not going to be you know that that that's just not going to happen in the new way of doing things. So. Um, Definitely, there's going to be masks on and gloves on and um, sanitation points everywhere, and, and um, we'll just take it as it comes. I'm pretty excited. Uh, one thing, though, Eric, when we get back online here, um, I'm ready to launch Heartbrand X, though, full-time on the menu. I've got uh, quite a lot of, of – uh, we were already planning to do this before we closed, though, so the 10-year-old will be the core staple of our meat section when we open. I, I know you you did the show last year where you sort of talked about that, but we should we should explain to people this is um, this is a special beef program you've worked out with Heartbrand Ranch where you're harvesting cows that are ten years old and they have their own sort of flavor texture. It's a very different beef experience than what uh, people are typically used to. Yeah, and you know what we're doing is we're better utilizing the animals, you know, the the breed back cows that are providing, you know, involving life and giving back every year. We're we're highlighting them instead of putting them into you know bad ground beef programs. And we figured out how to make them eat with a lot of integrity, a lot of beefy flavor. And uh, you know, we've been working on it for. We were actually supposed to be at the James Beard House cooking it uh, March thirty first, uh, but. Uh, uh, we were, we've been working on getting it built up enough to where we have a steady supply so we can go into restaurants with box in beef, you know, instead of, you know, I take the whole cow. I have been every month for a long time, but now we've got it broken out into primal. So I can buy, you know, 10 cases of ribeye if I need to, or, or, or tenderloin or, or flat iron or whatever it may be. So I'm looking forward to, um, I think we're going to have to be a little bit more creative with butcher's cuts. Um, as we reopen, middle meats will be there for sure, but guests are going to be wanting a great steak at a great price with the current economy. Um, good news is, is for us, we've been playing with those butcher's cuts for two years now. So um, Jordan has finally got the production up to where I think me and, and, and other restaurants are going to be able to, um, maybe not a whole bunch, but uh, going to be able to serve that you know, full time, which is very exciting. Uh, we've been working on it for a long time. So that is exciting. Well, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless you have something else you would like to discuss. No, I mean, I, I, I want to thank the city of Houston and the Woodlands, uh, first and foremost for all the support that they've given me and my teams through this. I want to wish all my hospitality friends and family in Houston, Dallas, everywhere, just, you know, Good luck to you guys. I feel for you and your families, and, and I'm here if you need anything. Um, and uh, I hope that listening to this may have sparked some, some ideas for somebody to maybe help their business transition a little bit because everybody's going to have to pivot, Eric. Uh, it's really important that, that business as usual is not, not the same. No, that's well said. Uh, give us the website for, for Tris in the kitchen so that people can find you. Uh, the Kitchen Woodlands. Uh, dot com and tristwoodlands.com. Austin, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Have a great day. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.